listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. You know, we all look forward to the new year for, for probably lots of different reasons, but one of them is it's just a fresh start, right? You... 2023, man, some of the things of the past year that were difficulties or were hardships or caused suffering in our life, we kind of think, okay, we get to close the, the door on that chapter and begin a new chapter of our life and hopefully a little less suffering, less hardship, less difficulty. But I want you to take a moment this morning to, to think back to 2022 and consider what were some of those hardships? What were some of those difficulties? What were some of those things that maybe caused you a little bit of, of pain in your life? And I don't want you to unpack the entire thing. We don't have time for that. But I would love for you, uh, with someone close to you, and if you see someone that seems like they're by themselves, please, we're family. I would love for you to, to reach out and ask them to join you for a moment. But I want you to t- just take a quick minute to share, hey, here was a hardship in my life in 2022. Here was... Um, Man, you, I'll, we could list a bunch of here in a second. We will list some of those, but just take a minute and share what was a difficulty, a hardship, a pain, a struggle that you experienced last year? And honestly, you may, you may even still be suffering, still be experiencing right now. Let's take a moment. Let's share those, and then we'll All right, I appreciate you guys taking a moment to, to do that. If I'm cutting you off mid-story, I apologize for that. Hopefully you got to share some things. Now, I'm not gonna, uh, for sure in this moment, I don't, don't give me the detail, and I'm not asking you to, to, to bear all of your secret life information, but could you just um, shout out to me some of the things, like topics that were mentioned? So like maybe, maybe you... Um, you, you lost a loved one, like someone in your family passed away. Like just mention some of those things. You can just uh, go for it. Tell me. What was the most thing? Work-related suffering. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. Different sicknesses. Somebody else. Finances. Family struggles. Absolutely. Becoming sober. Just being honest. And that's awesome, by the way. <laughs> Somebody else over here, anybody? Struggles. If you're embarrassed to tell yours, you can show your friends. Just kidding, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, just uh, the ones that were just mentioned, like to even categorize them simply, like sickness, family struggle, work-related issues, overcoming sin and temptation, which can feel like suffering, Absolutely. Maybe it's some of you, you moved to a new place. I got to meet some, some new students at Tech before the service started. And like, man, the suffering of moving to a new place and having to start over with new friends and being at dif- uh, a distance from family, that, that, can be, that can be painful. That can be hard. Or maybe you're in the same place and you've got the same old friends, but then those friends are now stabbing you in the back. And that is painful and a hardship and suffering. All of us experience suffering. Now, the next thing I want you to do I want you to take a moment and with that same, same person you talk to or same people, I want you to share about a day that was literally 100% from start to finish, absolutely 100% perfect. 
Ready, go ahead and do that. How about no? <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, if anyone was ready to do that, I would love to meet you after the service. <laughs> like, what, what, is the tri- what is the trick to life? Okay, okay, another, uh, I, love, I love how you guys are responding here. But why, is, why is that kind of humorous? Nothing is perfect. There's a little sign in one of the classrooms or rooms here, uh, like Sunday school rooms here at Southcrest. If, if you put it up, please don't be offended, but there's a, a, there's a little picture, uh, probably bought at Hobby Lobby or something that says, today is a perfect day for a perfect day. I'm like, every time I see it, I want to take that down because there's no perfect day. It might be a perfect day for a great day, but there's no perfect day. Pain is part of the human story. You, you can't get away from it. Every single day, Someone is suffering. I actually, scratch that. Most days, most people are suffering. It's a reality of, of the human story. That, that most days are just okay. I, 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 there are very few, just absolutely amazing, great days in life because suffering is part of our reality. We saw last week as we began James chapter five, the suffering, the reality of of godless rich people, people who had wealth but didn't have a relationship with God, who were using their power, using their wealth to abuse those of a lower status. And in many cases, people who were Christ followers, people who had a relationship with Jesus, they were suffering sometimes just because they were followers of Christ. And we just mentioned a second ago, so many different ways that people suffer in this world and the hardships and the pain that we face and the difficulties that we encounter. Pain is part of the human story. What I love about this text today in James 5, uh, 7 through 12, what one of the questions it faces, or it, it answers, I should say, is how do we suffer well? Brokenness, pain, suffering is a reality of the human story. And as we're waiting for Jesus to return, and he is returning, praise God, how, how do we suffer well? In the, in the middle of this broken world where every single day we, we experience pain and hardship and difficulty, how do we suffer well? Chapter five, verse seven, he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains? You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes mean yes and your no mean no, so that you won't fall under judgment. You you see, as we just began reading the text, four times he used, I'm using the, the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB, but four times he used the word patient, as we will wait for the Lord to return in this broken world, you've got to be patient. You've got to have 
endurance. And he uses the metaphor of a farmer, just like a farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Now, while the farmer's waiting for the rains, he's not sitting back doing nothing. He's, he's busy keeping weeds out of the land and all those sorts of things that farmers do that I know nothing about. But it requires patient, being active, not just being lazy, but it requires a, a posture of patience, of endurance. Because here's the first point. There's no fast pass. When you think about how do we suffer well and, and waiting on the Lord to return, waiting in this broken world, making for all things to be made new when Christ returns, what's the attitude we got to have? We have to realize there's no fast pass. It requires long suffering. It requires patience. What is a fast pass? If you've been to, to Disney or maybe just looked into going to Disney and then saw the prices and decided not to. If you look at going to Disney, a fast pass, you can pay extra. At least last, I checked yesterday to make sure I got my facts straight. You can, you can pay extra on top of the expensive ticket. And that fast pass allows you to pass the long line of people and go to the front of the line, which may always like in that moment, if you've ever done that, do you like, do you walk, do you strut? Like, that's right, I'm in a fast pass. Or do you like, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Like, if you, you pay a little extra, you can kind of uh, use the system to get out of the suffering of waiting in line forever. We even have that at Chick-fil-A now, right? You don't want to wait in the long drive-thru, which they are pretty quick, I'll give them that. But you don't want to wait in the long drive-thru, you can just get on your app and you can have them bring it out to you at the space that you choose in the parking lot, Right? So you don't have to wait in the line. It's quick, it's fast, it's easy. You just have to, to use the system. You know what James is helping us see? That doesn't exist in the Christian life. There's not a fast pass you can get. There's not some way you can, can work the system to get out of suffering. No, it just requires this attitude. I'm gonna be patient. I know the Lord is coming. This world is broken and man, sometimes it's painful, but I want to be patient. It's this attitude of, of he says, strengthening your heart. So it's idea of digging in your heels, that no matter what the world may throw at me, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to keep worshiping. I'm going to keep praising. I'm going to keep waiting. And there's a Hillsong United song that says, God, I know you're not done working, so I'm not done waiting. A posture of patience. You want to suffer well? Got to have patience. Well, God, how could you expect me to suffer in the midst of finding out that someone in my family has cancer, in the midst of losing a loved one, or my friends stabbed me in the back, or God, you put me in this, what I thought was a, a great new job, but now that I think I've I followed your will, but now my finances are struggling. When I thought I was following you, God, how am I supposed to be patient in the midst of that? God, apparently you don't know what the suffering is, or you don't know how bad the suffering is that I'm experiencing. How could anyone trust you? How could anyone be patient in the midst of such kind of hardship? God says, hey, that, that's a fair question. But verse 10, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. You know what James is saying? Hey, you're not the only one who's suffering. Suffering is just status quo. It's just a normal part of following God. So he says, look at the prophets. I think about Jeremiah. Jeremiah was put in stocks. He was put in prison. He was beaten. His own family betrayed him. And 
His ministry, ministry, a lot of people would say, did not appear very successful. And yet he still continued to follow God. He still continued to preach about what it meant to follow God and who God was. He stayed faithful. He stayed the course, even though it was difficult. When you stay the course, even when it's difficult, when you continue to worship God and live for God, you are not the first and you won't be the last. Be patient. He says, consider, he says, we see, excuse me, see we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. Job suffered as much or maybe more than, than anyone that, that we know. Lost absolutely everything. And while he struggled and sometimes questioned, he still held on to his faith in God. He, he had some frustrations with God. He let those out. He aired them out he still continued to follow God. Even when his wife was like, just curse God and die. Just give up, forget it. He stayed the course. And in the end, he received double fold what he originally had. Now listen, James is not saying, so listen guys, you suffer through this hardship in 2023, you're gonna have double the blessing you had before. Like that's not what J James is promising you. Absolutely not. No, the, the point is that in the end, even if, even if it's not until heaven, God does honor your faithfulness. You will never regret having endurance in following Jesus. That's why he says we count them as blessed. In the end, even if it's heaven, you will be grateful that you stayed the course. You will be grateful that you kept going after God, knowing that he's always got you in his grip. There's no fast pass. You gotta be patient. You know, I mentioned fast pass is kind of this idea of, of using the system. Often when we're trying to get out of suffering, we think that we can manipulate God or those around us to, to decrease the suffering. I think that thought helps give us a little insight into what otherwise might seem like a random verse in verse 12. I want to read that one again. It says, above all, the idea is, is don't miss this often overlooked issue. Don't miss it. Above all, our brothers and sisters, do not swear. He's not talking about cussing, though we don't want to cuss. He said, he's talking about this kind of swearing. Don't swear by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. But let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. So that you won't fall under judgment. What's going on there? So he's not just talking about cussing. He's talking about swearing, making a, a rash vow to God, God, I, I swear, if, if, you, if you just get me out of the situation, I'll never do that sin again. How many times have you said that and then just circle right back to that sin, right? I don't know about you, I, this is totally random, maybe I should share this, but how many times like uh, I've been sick, particularly stomach bug, and it's like, God, if you'll take this away, I'll, I'll follow you perfectly the rest of my life, right? Like we make these, these rash promises to God to get out of suffering, to get out of pain. Or sometimes what he's referring to is we, we make rash promises to other people. And we often even invoke the name of God. Like, I, I swear, like, I, I'm going to do this for you and God's going to help me. And, we're, and the reality is you're making promises that you have no power to perform. You're making promises that, that you, you can't keep, but you're doing it for a posture of trying to, to control the outcome or decrease suffering. Why do I say that? I say it because I don't think James is just having some rando thought here, just some random verse. No, I, Holy Spirit's intentional with what he says. I think it's in the context. Remember, if you think about 
very specifically who James is writing to in, in chapter five, I really think he's continuing some of the foundation he laid in the beginning of chapter five, that these, these poorer Christians are being abused by these godless rich people. These people who have wealth, but don't have a relationship with God. They're being abused. I think the con- what's going on in this context is they're being tempted to say, God, I, I'll do this for you if you'll just get me out of this bind with my landlord. Or, or, or promising to the landlord, I, I swear I'll do this if you'll just give me the income for next month earlier, whatever it may be. James is saying, hey, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. So, so that you don't fall under judgment. Some manuscripts say you don't fall into hypocrisy. The, the point is either way, when you make a, a vow you can't keep, when you, when you make a promise you can't perform, it, you're trying to control the situation rather than just trusting God. And when you try to take the reins of life and make promises that you can't keep, you're gonna end up being a hypocrite. And the reality is at the same time, God holds you accountable for the words that you say. So you're gonna bring on more judgment to yourself by by making these rash vows that you you actually can't keep. So, So James is pulling us away from manipulate the situation to decrease suffering to instead he's saying this, Suffering well requires surrender. As we wait for the Lord, this world is broken, this world is difficult. We're anxiously awaiting him to come back and make all things new. When you try to to manipulate the controls and, and be in charge of your life and guarantee outcomes or guarantee timelines of outcomes to lessen suffering and trauma, you actually just invite more hardship into your life. Suffering well requires surrender. My yes is yes, my no is no. I'm just trusting the Lord. I'm not gonna make promises that I have no power to perform. I remember a former student from our our student ministry here, uh, his grandfather owned a high fence ranch uh, south of town, I believe, somewhere. And uh, they were having trouble with coyotes getting into this ranch and, and killing these, like, some exotic animals they'd brought in for people to come and hunt. And so uh, it was funny hearing him talk about it. They had put up these traps where they knew the coyotes were getting into this high fence ranch. They put in up traps. And uh, he said, yeah, that way when the coyotes try to get a juicy Bambi, I'm like, who are you? <laughs> when they try to come get a juicy Bambi, it gets them, they can't get out. But he told me that the more the coyotes tried to force their way through that trap, the tighter it just became around them. The more they forced the issue, tr- and, like, rather than surrendering to it, maybe backing out, the more they forced their way into it, it, it just seized around them even tighter. You know, it's a, a picture of what happens in your life. The more you try to force the issue, the more you try to take control, the more that it seems like hardship just seizes around you. Your life gets more difficult, it gets harder when you try to take control. God is not a vending machine, right? You can't, God, I promise I'll do this if you do this. He's not a vending machine. No, it's surrender. God, I I trust you. I don't know how this is gonna turn out, but you're in control and I surrender. You say, man, surrender, that posture is hard when I'm wanting to squirm because of the pain. And I totally agree. When you're in pain, you you just want to squirm and get out of the situation. It's hard to to be open-handed and calm and surrendered 
when you're in pain. That takes me, it makes me think back to in chapter one, verse two, where he says, he's telling us not how to feel, but how to think. When he says, consider a great joy whenever you experience various trials. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effects that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. And I think that's one of the keys. I wanna live in an open-handed posture of surrender. So I'm patient and I'm surrendered even as I'm suffering. How do I help my heart stay surrendered rather than squirm? It's by considering the suffering I'm in the trouble I'm in, the trials I'm in, a great joy. God, I'm gonna trust you that you're doing something that I can't see, I don't understand, but that you're, you're working in me, that you're making me more like yourself. There's no fast pass that requires surrender. Did you notice as we're reading through the text that twice he, he relates suffering well to the words that we say, to the things that we say. Look back at verse nine. He says, brothers and sisters, don't complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Don't complain. Some translations say, don't grumble against one another. Don't grumble and gripe about one another. Why? Because he says, so you won't be judged. The judge stands at the door. So again, Jesus is coming soon. He could walk through that door at any minute. So don't complain against each other. You're just inviting more difficulty. And the reality is that you're going to be accountable for the way that you talk about your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. You're going to stand before God and have to give an account, even though like, it's, not, it's not about heaven or hell, but you're, gonna, you're responsible for the way that you treat other brothers and sisters in Christ. So he says, don't grumble against one another. What does that have to do with the suffering of context, the context of suffering and waiting patiently for the Lord. The reality is that when you're suffering, when you're hurting, hurting, it's easier to see the faults in other people, isn't it? When you're in a hardship, automatically you start pointing out the faults in other people. And, and on top of that, often our suffering, our, our pain, our hardship we experience in life is, is because of what other people are doing. The things that are going on in their lives that are impacting us. But by James telling us, don't grumble against each other. Don't complain against each other. He's reminding us this. We suffer better when we're together. When you turn on each other and are griping and complaining and at odds with everybody around you, your fellow, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, you just make suffering more difficult. We suffer better when we're together. If we're gonna grow as Christians and, and tackle the 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 tough issues of life, we have to remember we're on the same team and we need each other. Uh, last night, there were uh, two games that everybody was watching here in Lubbock, Texas. One of them being the, the heartbreaking loss of our Texas Tech Raiders, Red Raiders. That was a tough one, amen. And the other game everybody was watching, I know, was the Jacksonville Jaguars game. <laughs> At least that's what the Hayes household was watching. And by the way, that, we, all, we all put up that third point. I'm sorry, thanks guys. Um, that uh, we suffer better when we're together. Oh, there it is right there, sorry. <laughs> uh, the Jaguars game that all of you, I'm sure we're watching is riveted. It's interesting. I, I told a friend I wasn't gonna bring this up, but it's just too good for this point. It just works too well. So if you didn't watch the game, I'll tell you real quick. The first half, the Jaguars looked like 
we were uh, a high school team playing an NFL team. Trevor Lawrence, the quarterback, in the first half alone, threw four interceptions. Uh, one, one turnover we had, uh, we finally got the Chargers to punt the ball, but it hit the guy, uh, the kick returner, it hit him on the top of the head and bounced, and then they got the ball. Like, just, if it could go wrong, it was going wrong. And I, I almost gave up hope on the team, but uh, right before the half, we scored touchdowns that was 27 to seven, and the Jaguars actually came back and won 31 to 30. So this is your invitation. If you want to jump on the train, come on. You can, we'll take you, okay? Uh, I'm going to pull for the, for the Cowboys tomorrow night, but you can, you can also pull for the Jaguars. But it was so cool to watch some of the interviews at halftime. Uh, I believe it was Zay Jones they interviewed. Keep in mind, at one point, the, you know how ESPN has all these pr- uh, probability of who's going to win? At one point, they had the, the chances of the Jaguars winning the game down to 1.5%. Like, that's how bad it was. But they interviewed several players after the game, and Zay Jones, one of the receivers, uh, they were asking him about what was said at halftime in the locker room. And he said, man, we just, we just kept believing. No one was pointing fingers. We just said, hey, we all have to take a hard look at ourselves, what we can do better, and we're going to get back out there and, and do this one play at a time. Like, if there was ever a time that would have been understandable to point fingers at somebody, it would be after your quarterback threw four interceptions in one half, right? Like, hey, bro, what's wrong with you? They didn't do that. They said, hey, we're, we, we need him. He needs us. We're not going to point fingers. They said that uh, at halftime, Trevor Lawrence said, hey, guys, or when they were down by 27 to 7, or 27 to 0, so still in the first half, he told his, his uh, offense, hey, we don't have any 27-point plays in the playbook, <laughs> so we're just going to do this one play at a time together. Uh, how often in the Christian life we like to point fingers at other people and blame and complain and grumble rather than just say, like, hey, there, what could I do different? Yes, this is a difficult situation. Yes, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. Like this. There's a lot of suffering going on, but I'm not going to blame everybody else in my life. We suffer better when we're together. So I want to challenge you. Are you talking about people? Or are you talking to people? Are you talking against people or are you talking with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? Yeah, but you don't know what they said to me. You don't know what they did to me. You have no idea. He says the judge stands at the door and knocks. Uh, the, the judge is Jesus. Do you really want to say that to Jesus? Jesus, I would forgive them, but you have no idea what they did to me. And Jesus is like, do, do you really want to go there? Jesus, I would forgive them. I wouldn't complain about them, but you have no idea what they said to me. And Jesus is like, I know it's painful, but, but do you really want to go there with me? We're better when we're together. You know, speaking of Jesus, this passage doesn't explicitly talk about him and the suffering that he experienced, but I, I think you can't help but, but think about Jesus in this text. If it wasn't for Jesus his perfect life, death, and resurrection, then there would be no point to enduring and having patience, right? If he didn't pay the price for your sins on the cross and then three days later rise again, then when we think about pain and suffering and hardship in this life, there would be no reason to suffer well because there would be, there would be nothing to look forward to. But heaven 
And the end of suffering and pain is a reality because the cross of Jesus was a reality. See, suffering well requires that you remember this. Your suffering has an end because Jesus suffered to the end. Your suffering, your suffering will one day cease because Jesus did not cease to pay the penalty for your sins on the cross. Your suffering has an end because Jesus suffered to the end. The hope of heaven is real because the love of Christ for you displayed on the cross is real. The thing about the suffering here he experienced, even the emotional suffering of bearing the weight of the shame of our sin on his shoulders, quite literally. Think about the social pain, suffering he experienced as all of his friends betrayed him. Where'd they go? They're running and hiding, leaving him. Think about the spiritual pain he experienced of, of, of sensing the father turn away. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And absolutely the physical pain he experienced of being nailed to a cross after already being beat within an inch of his life by the Roman soldiers. Why would Jesus do that? Why would he suffer to that extent, to the point of death on a cross, just that your suffering would have an end? So you could have a relationship with him. Why would he do that? It's because as the text says in verse 11, the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The cross is proof that God cares about your suffering. God, so... We say so often when we're suffering, we're in hardship, God, do you even see me? Do you even care? The cross is the forever evidence that he does see and he does care and he already has done something about it. That's why we have the hope of heaven to look forward to and the joy of knowing he is returning because the cross is proof that he cares and he's always cared. Psalm 56 Eight says this, you have, you yourself, talking to God, have recorded my wanderings. Some translations say my miseries. You've put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will retreat on the day when I call. This I know God is for me. The psalmist is using picturesque language. He's not saying that God literally has this massive bottle in heaven to keep all your tears. But, but the picture is clear. God sees every single tear that falls from your eyes because of the suffering that you face. And he's aware, he cares, he's concerned, and there's intimate relationship. He sees every single tear. And he, it's like, the picture here is that he has a journal. Are they not in your book that he's, as he sees your pain, your suffering, your hardship, he, he's jotting down, he's writing down the sorrows that you experience because he cares for you. This I know, God is for me. If God is for us, who can be against us? Yes, this world is difficult. This world is hard. In this life, you will have suffering. You will have hardship. But Jesus says, take heart, for I have overcome the world. How do you suffer well? You remember that your suffering has an end 
because Jesus suffered to the end. Friend, I want to tell you, yes, the Bible acknowledges your, your suffering is real, but so is your Savior. I, I want to end today by just, by just praying for us. I'm going to ask our worship team to, to start making their way up this way. Then a room this size, it, it's kind of overwhelming to think about the different types and different depths of suffering that people may be experiencing as we wait for the Lord to return and to fix this broken world, to make all things new. And as I pray for you, I want you to consider maybe is the Lord calling you to abandon a fast pass mentality and just for you to embrace patience? Maybe he's calling you to embrace surrender. You've been trying to control things and, and maybe sidestep some of the suffering. He's just calling you to just embrace surrender, trust him. Maybe in the middle of your hardship, your pain, your suffering, you've been trying to, you've been seeing all the faults with other people and God's calling you back to community. We're often so fast to run away from community and slow and slow to build it up. And the call is to stay together in community that we can handle suffering better when we have each other's backs. Maybe this morning, God's calling you just to remember the cross, to know that Jesus knows what suffering is. We have a high priest who can relate Jesus. He can relate to our sufferings and our sorrow. How is God calling you to respond? God, I'm grateful that you don't present a facade of what life is, that you don't <laughs> talk to us as if our lives are all hunky-dory and perfect all the time, but you just, through the scriptures, acknowledge that life is difficult, that this world is broken. Well, I'm grateful that the way the Bible describes life is actually what we see in the world. They, they line up, they match. And God, that in that cohesiveness, you don't just describe the world that we live in, you also tell us how to live in it as we follow you. Or would you help us to, to be patient as we suffer? Would you help us to, to strengthen our hearts, to, to lean in and say, no matter what comes my way, I'm gonna keep trusting God. Would you help us to surrender? Would you help us to, to fight for community rather than just fight and run from community? Or would you help us to remember the cross, the hope of salvation and the hope of glorification, the hope of, of being with you forever in perfection? With no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering. I gotta pray for, for folks this morning. I know there's so many in here, at, maybe at different depths and different levels, but so many who are struggling for so many reasons that you, you know, you know every single one of them, which is mind-blowing. But God, would you bring, in the midst of their suffering, their pain, their hardship, would you bring comfort? Would you bring encouragement? Would you bring hope? God, would you bring people around them 
to encourage them, to strengthen their hearts along with them. They would find hope in the cross, victory in the cross and the resurrection. Lord, for those this morning, maybe you've put someone on their heart right now. Maybe they, they have a friend or family member who is struggling, who is hurting, who is suffering. God, would you give the believers in this room just wisdom on how to encourage, how to be your hands and feet, how to strengthen, how to come alongside those who are suffering. God, as we do suffer and as we seek to be patient, would you help us remember your arms are always wide open, that you don't save us with open arms and then push us away to go figure it out, but no, day in, day out, you welcome us to come to you, to lay our burdens down and to find rest, to find solace, to find encouragement in your arms. God, I pray as we sing this song that you would just remind us of that. Give us hope, not in our ability to fix a situation, but in your sovereignness over all things, sovereignty over all things. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for community and the chance to worship. Shall we pray? Amen. Y'all stand and sing with us. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 